Marcia Williams is a highly successful prize-winning author and illustrator who has published over 30 books. Her many awards include the UKLA Children's Book Award and the English 4 to 11 Picture Book Award. Her books are extremely popular in schools for their humorous and approachable way of introducing the classics to a young age group with her distinctive and accessible comic strip style. She's also a much sought after panelist at literary festivals and educational conferences. Marcia met recently with Nikki Gamble to talk about her latest title, The Fantastic Book of Feelings, a guide to being happy, sad and everything in between. Before we start talking about the book, I'm just going to mention some of the other ones that you've written and illustrated in the past to give a sense of the uh, of the work. And you've written um, adaptations of Shakespeare's stories, King Arthur, The Iliad, Noah, Inventors. And then we've had a whole series of historical books. You know, we've had Archie's War, My Secret War Diary. Uh, we've had a book about Egyptians, Romans, Stone Age and Vikings. And now we come to something that looks as though it should be quite different because it's called the Fantastic Book of Feelings. It's in this large format that we'll recognise from some of your other books. But it does seem to be quite different in as much as the others have obvious stories to tell. What was the idea behind going for a book about feelings and well-being? I'm sure many people think it was a reaction to um, COVID, but actually it wasn't. I started it before we went into lockdown. I'd worked with a wonderful charity called The Art Room, and they support children who are having difficulties in school and difficult um, time with their emotions. And I worked with them for nearly a year on a project with a group of children who used to come out of school into the art room once or twice a week. And we created this book together. And it was it was a wonderful project. I turned them into a sort of um, Dodgers gang from Dickens. And they each had a character and they built up these characters. But I, Actually, the relevance is is that I saw these children over a period of time and what awful problems they had with their emotions and feelings and how at odds they were with their feelings. And it's heartbreaking because unless you are easy with your feelings, it doesn't matter how clever you are or what you know or what you're doing, it's always standing in the way of your achieving your dreams. And um, so I, I really wanted to support children in some way because that's what authors do, really. So first of all, I did a course on teaching mindfulness in primary schools. And I did that for a term. But I what I realised when I was doing that was that it was great for some children. Um, meditation is a wonderful tool, but it's just one tool and children need more. And so I wanted to find a way to offer more. So that's really what the book is there for. Um, Can I just ask a little bit more about that? You'd obviously got this experience with the art room. And then you've you've gone off and done a course on mindfulness. Um, were there other things, other sort of experts that you had to draw on in putting the book together? Or did you find oh. that that was enough? 
No, absolutely not. No, that was really just what instigated the book. And I needed somebody with experience. So I had a consultant psychologist, Andrea, um, who supported me through the book. And she suggested many of the story lines and checked everything before it went to print. So I definitely wouldn't have done it without some expert input. Mm. Let's talk about that because I started by saying on the surface, this looks as though it should be quite different because the feeling isn't a story, but you have used story as the basis for communicating some of these ideas about coping with your emotions, with your feelings. And you've just said that, you know, you had a consultant psychologist who helped with that. Um, I obviously don't want to delve into specific children's lives. These are real stories, are they? The stories that she gave me were compilations of patients that she'd had. There are a couple of stories that were given to me by now teenagers, but remembering their past. For instance, the um, one on shyness was given to me by a friend who's actually now at uni. So in that sense it is it's a real story it was her experience but of course you know as you know if you take anybody's story in order to make it work on the page you change it a bit so I just felt that if I had real life stories as it were that children will be able to relate to it better and realize that you know they are not alone and other people have had these feelings and they've managed them so I hope it gives them hope. Before we talk about specific emotions, one of the things that I really appreciated in it, and I hope it's something that we are moving away from, is this notion of positive and negative emotion. And you deal with that idea really well. So you don't call these negative, although there is one that I'll pick out later, but oh, you don't talk about positive and negative emotions. Oh, no, absolutely not. So, I mean, we are emotional beings and um, we should celebrate that. It, it's amazing. It's, it's only when they become our master and we're not their master that it's a problem. And um, I would hate to think that in any way I made anyone feel that any emotion was negative what I think is negative is our generation or my generation, certainly, were taught never to show their emotions. And we all built walls around ourselves. And, you know, I remember going through my childhood thinking I was very different from everybody else because I had all these burning thoughts going on in my head and I would never have thought of discussing them with anyone. Mm. And... Um, it has a huge impact on people's lives and ability to empathise and communicate. So I just wanted to open it up, I suppose. I mean, it has been opened up generally now. You know, there's a huge movement of emotional well-being, which is fantastic. And um, So I'm just joining the band, really. That is true. I do still see that um, idea of positive and negative emotions sometimes filtering through in some of the things that I see so the fact that you'd addressed it quite up front you know that fear is it has a positive impact as well in as much as we feel frightened of things so that we can 
decide what to do you know that that kind yeah. of chemical reaction are we going to run away from it or are we going to stay and fight it you know exactly. if we didn't ever feel fear we'd be more at risk of attack and uh, dangerous situations absolutely absolutely and with sadness I mean that has also positive um side to it as well you know it's awful to feel sad when for instance when somebody dies but it shows that you cared about them and that you remember good times and so there's always a reason for that that feeling I think I think that's right and I think in so many instances we try and protect our children from things and actually if we protect them all the time you know when we're not there life is going to hit them and they won't have any resilience and I think the best thing we can do for our young people is to give them some resilience give them some tools so that they can go through life knowing that they can deal with things yeah definitely there is one emotion in here which I was really glad that you tackled because when you see a raft of books about emotions and feelings this is one that is very rarely dealt with we rarely get anything that deals with hate that was quite interesting that you put that in there. And actually, you do use the word negative in that particular chapter because it's almost quite, I think maybe that is one where it is hard to think of a positive spin on hate. Maybe you could say a little bit more about that. Yes, I think that Andrea helped me with that. And she said that hate is just anger tipping over and that I actually there is a reason for it and you're angry with somebody and you can't deal with that anger. And so it can very often turn to hate or dislike or it's based in fear. There can be many reasons, but I think it is quite negative when it tips over into hate. I mean, hate is a hugely strong word and I feel uncomfortable saying it. And I don't think in my life I've ever felt hate for anyone I might dislike things that people do and I think it's um, important to realize that it you know you may not hate that person Mm. but you just hate the way they're behaving towards you you know either they're bullying you or they're breaking your toys or you know whatever or you're worried that, um, you know, maybe you're a sibling and you're worried that they're taking all your parents' attention. Whatever it is, it's what's happening that you hate and not that person. Mm. And I think that notion of anger tipping over into something is is so interesting because that can be transitory and you can really regret it afterwards. Yes. And very often it's yourself, you know, that you're hating because you can't deal with it. But it's not something we should shy away from. But you did decide to put it in. So, yes. Was that that being pushed by Andrea or was that your No, no, no. no. I think I I wrote um, the list of feelings and then we went through them together. You're always restricted, as you know, when you're doing a book. You only have so many pages, so you can only have so many feelings. But um, (laughs) under those terms, we sort of produced the list together. Mm. Tell us about some of the other feelings that you deal with in the book well I suppose a quieter feeling is the feeling of shyness Mm. 
mm-hmm. um, which I think is very, very real for so many people. And um, that was a feeling that somebody shared with me and how they reacted when they were a child. And that awful feeling that you're the only one that feels shy and that everyone else is having a good time and is best friends and you feel so isolated. And um, I was a very shy child and actually my editor suffered terribly from shyness. But again, you know, I think you you learn a lot through shyness because you're you're watching all the time and looking in. But then to discover that other people are shy and you're not alone and that the person you thought was the centre of attention was just dealing with her shyness in a different way. Mm. It's fascinating. It was a fascinating book to work on. What, what discoveries did you have on the way? You'd obviously done quite a lot of work already, but... Were there any things that surprised you in your conversations as you were dealing with these different sections? Talking to children, some of the surprises, you know, children are so raw and they don't have as many defences, particularly when I talk to younger children. And I remember talking to one child who had huge anger issues but he was at the same time he was so scared and so scared of his the strength of his emotions and that people would hate him because of them and he felt he was such a good person makes me cry almost you know because it it's heartbreaking that a little person can suffer from from this conflict of feelings mm. and it they just need unpicking you know and the more you know about your emotions, the easier it becomes to unpick them, I hope. Let's say you deal with happiness as well. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, happiness, I, that, that's my, my favourite spread, I think, mm. because happiness is all interviews with children I know, and they all tell us what makes them happy. Mm. And it's brilliant because it, it's very diverse, but not one person mentions anything material it's all about friends and family and sharing and kindness kindness was a very big issue I think with everybody they all sought to be kind and for other people to be kind to them and I did it sort of at the end of the book so having been through all these conflicting emotions to hear all these wonderful ideas of what made people happy Mm -hmm. it's great two things that stuck out for me on that particular spread one was not only family relationships but relationships with animals whether they were pets or that seems to really chime with children and a sense of happiness and well-being. I think it does, and particularly with um, only children who have pets. You know, that's a huge sort of sibling comfort to them in a way. I know that um, one of my granddaughters got gerbils during lockdown because she was missing her friends so much. And actually, you know, I hate the thought of caged animals, but they they are a huge comfort. I mean, she's back at school now, but um, they were a huge comfort to her. Mm. And then the other thing was food. 
Having your favourite food, you know, roast potatoes. I love that. I love that. Roast potatoes was a good one. So tell us a little bit. We've said that there are stories in here. It's a format that we're familiar with uh, from some of your other books as well. Tell us a little bit about how you put the stories together. Yes. So um, like my other books, it's a comic strip book. It's nearly entirely um, in comic strips. And each emotion has its own story set around a child. So it does, I mean, I hope it does read like a storybook. And then underneath there are these characters who run on a line all through the book along the bottom. And they both support the text and give ideas of how you can deal with that particular emotion all the way through. And some, you know, sometimes if it's a difficult emotion and people are reluctant to share it, they will encourage the sharing or explain why you don't share and things like that. And how you can never mock other people for their emotions. So particularly something like fear, maybe you're not frightened of dogs, but it's a real fear to the person who is. And um, I think the little characters underneath talk about being frightened of puddles because he can't actually swim and he doesn't can't always see that the puddle is very shallow. And, you know, it seems so silly to me and you, but to a young person, it can be a really real fear. So I think it works on different levels. And um, so it both tells a story and then supports you in finding different ways of dealing with that emotion if it's um, if you feel it's getting on top of you, basically. And then at the end, I mean, I've been really lucky because actually at the end there is there are suggestions of making your own toolbox um, for your emotional well-being. So you might fill it with all the different ideas for when you're feeling angry. So you might do meditation and music and all the things that you feel might help you but also Walker Books wanted to support children in some way. Mm -hmm. And so there are different suggestions that children and teachers will be able to download um, so that children can use them to create their own first aid box for emotions. That's great. I love the three characters along in the margin. I mean, I I always (laughs) loved your marginalia, Um, but these three are consistent throughout the book. And so they... Although each story is a different child, you've got this kind of constant set of three characters who you develop um, a relationship with, if you like. Um, I suspect a lot will be, um, a lot of children will particularly like Lou, which is the little boy who needs, he needs a lot of protection really from his two friends. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that, that's, uh, it gives that gentle, gentle humor which is what this book really needs doesn't it it's not the laugh out loud jokes but no no but it does humor just does help you through a difficult moment and I think it's the same in books you know if you can inject a bit of humor then you can swallow a difficult fact 
Mm. Um, Can you just tell um, our listeners how the comic book style that you don't always use but often use, how did that? How did that come about originally, way back? <laughs> <laughs> way back. So uh, way back when I was, I suppose, about seven, I w- was at boarding school and my parents lived abroad. And every Sunday we used to have to write letters home to our parents. And I hated writing these letters because and I know it's really different now, but in those days, boarding schools were incredibly routine. And so there was very little to write about. And the teachers read your letters. And so if you wrote anything negative, they would tear them up and you'd have to start all over again. So one week, what I did was I decided to take photographs of my week and I had them printed. And then come the Sunday, I stuck them down in order of my week and wrote a little thing, you know, bacon again for breakfast. We had a two-hour maths period, awful, you know, and little speech bubbles from my friends' mouths. And I sent this to my parents. I thought, oh, this is so much more fun than uh, writing these letters. But I was at school and, you know, had limited pocket money, so I couldn't keep taking photographs. So the next week I wrote a comic strip story, um, having got the idea from the photographs. And um, then every week, that's what I did. I sent another story that I'd made up. And uh, it was a huge relief for me. I don't know if my parents ever read them. (laughs) But it was much more fun. And I just went on doing it. When I left school, I did it for my friends and then my children and then I was lucky enough to um, start working for Walker Books so how wonderful yeah no. um, so it wasn't so much from reading comics it was just something that evolved from no I wasn't allowed to read comics my mother um, although she was um, abroad she she was um, a writer and very oh. keen um, that I read nothing but the best literature and she thought comics and Enid Blyton were both appalling. And so I w- my brother was allowed Eagle, but I wasn't allowed anything. Did you ever get a sense of what your mother felt when you published Shakespeare in comic form? Was that acceptable? <laughs> I think she was slightly shocked that um, Shakespeare should be in comic strip. But having said that, she was always very supportive of me. So just to draw this uh, together, um, we're recording this just as we're starting to readjust again. We're coming out of a lockdown and uh, we're being able to do more things again. And of course, what that period of the last 12 months has shown us is how very differently people have responded or felt in relation to the restrictions on our lives. Do you feel that that has had quite a a strong impact on you? Yes, I'm quite, I mean, I think like many writers, I'm quite a sort of isolated person. I spend a lot of time alone. But in the first lockdown, I was completely isolated for um, two months, I suppose. And it's a very, very strange feeling. And it does have a huge impact on you. And I was lucky because I just am a passionate reader and um, 
I think the first book I read when I was in lockdown was, is it called Our Man in Moscow? And about somebody who is virtually in lockdown in a hotel and he creates this incredibly rich life. So I did find books a huge support. And then I, I read the um, Caslet family group of books mm-hmm. by Elizabeth Jane Howard. And again, that was like having a whole family brought into your your home. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was very dependent on books. Um, but at the same time, you know, it makes you realise what's important in your life. Mm, definitely. And I think one of the things that I... Uh, discovered was that even if you're an avid reader during periods like this you may not be able to read I think you have to recognize that people have a range of valid feelings and their response may not be the same as yours Um, and I think that's a really important lesson to take forward I I absolutely agree and I you know I hope that um as more books like this come out and we discuss people's feelings more, um, we become more empathetic to others' feelings because, um, as you say, they are all different. And people, I think I say right at the beginning of the book, you know, there's no right or wrong feeling or way to react to a feeling and everybody will react differently. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, Marcia. Maybe oh, next time it'll be in person. <laughs> yeah, well, that would be wonderful. But it's been lovely to see you, even on the screen, Nikki. In the Reading Corner is presented by Nikki Gamble and produced by Alison Hughes. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please do leave a review for us. To find out about other projects, including an audience with events and the Exploring Children's Literature Summer School, visit www.exploringchildrensliterature.uk. Join us again soon in the Reading Corner on your favourite podcast platform.